You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Christmas, folks, has flown quickly by again for another year. And I usually say to my mum on Christmas Day and up and on to the 12th of July, which I did this year as part of my tradition I have, I suppose. But Christmas has gone swiftly by. We're now in what, if our denomination had a liturgical calendar, what would be described as epiphany, the time after Christmas, a time of movement, a time of change, a time of development. But we don't have a liturgical calendar. And so what we have is God's Word. And what we need is God's Word. And what we need to live by is God's Word. And I want to look uh, very briefly today at uh, this verse in Proverbs 10, 16, the wage of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. Solomon uh, wrote about 3,000 of these Proverbs. And most of them he wrote in the middle to the late time in his life, when he was middle-aged. And Solomon was well known as someone who was wise. I've already spoken to the boys and girls about wisdom and other ways and lack of wisdom and unwise. But everything that Solomon had received, folks, was given to him from God. He didn't, he didn't have any wisdom in and of himself. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't born with any wisdom. God gave it to him. Anything he received or anything he possessed was a God-given gift. As I've already said, 3,000 of these Proverbs were written down by Solomon as he grew himself, as he learned himself, as he made his own mistakes, and as he learned from them. It's very easy when you're younger not really to listen to the advice of anyone, to think that the world's your oyster. And young people, I was there once, over 20 years ago and more. But it's so easy then when you get older to realize that what you were told at a younger stage in your life actually was right and good advice. Solomon gives us good advice here. But not only does he give us good advice, this is God's word. This is this is God's precious word to us. And what we find with Solomon was that so many people came from Eastern Mediterranean places to listen to what he had to say because his wisdom had gone before him. Everybody had realized that Solomon was some sort of type of God-given brain box. And so they wanted to listen to everything he had to say. And they wanted to hang on his every word. And as already have intimated, Solomon was not wise because of himself, but it was wise because of what God had granted him as a gift. And we all, folks, need to exercise wisdom every day. Wisdom about that job interview, wisdom about what to say and not to say, wisdom about that family problem that you have, or whatever happens to come out as God gives us the wisdom to think about these things, to work them out. To work them out in the workplace, 
to work them out in the home place, to work them out in your words and in your actions. There's three things uh, I want to look at at today um, in this one verse. The labor of the righteous, the second thing, the life of the righteous, and then thirdly, the limitations of those who are righteous. It's the first thing, the labor of the righteous, the wage of the righteous leads to life. The labor. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. The life of someone who is righteous before God is a labor-intensive life. But it is not a life that is thoroughly characterized by laboring because you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot work your way to that perfect place of righteousness. There's so many around us who have a work salvation. So many people live in Macrofelt who go to a specific place of worship where it's all about doing. It's all about doing this and doing that and doing the other thing and saying this prayer and saying that prayer and using these beads and using those beads and whatever else. And it's a work salvation. It's a worksy way of trying to get to heaven, which will never get them there. Never get them there. So don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can work your way to heaven because you can't. It's impossible. But you see, whenever you're right before God, it leads you to works of righteousness. It says here, the wage of the righteous leads to life. See, whenever we know and love a Savior, we ought to. We ought to be ready, folks. We ought to be willing to do for God what God asks us to do. That doesn't mean that everybody will stand up here because everybody's not set aside for being at the front necessarily. But if you're a believer today, you ought to be involved in God's work. There's no doubt about that. Gordon was saying at the start about public worship morning and evening. It's good to be here. Last Sunday evening, there was nowhere open in Lima Valley for public worship on Sunday night except for the Baptist Church and the Reformed Presbyterian Church. And I thought, where should I go? And it wasn't really a choice because I went to RPs. And at their evening service, there was boys and girls there. There was two bobbies there and two wee cots bringing their children to public worship on the Lord's Day in the evening. That's vital. The labor of the righteous, we need to be willing to do what God asks us to do because what goes alongside those things are wages. And the wages of those who are right before God is eternal life. Now, I'll deal with the other part of this in a few moments, but not only should we be ready to and be willing to do what God asks us to do, but we need to be realistic and practical in the use of our time and of our talents. The elders in Union Road and the Comfort will know this story because they've already been afforded it at a meeting that I was at, and David will also know it as well. I went to church in Belfast for 10 years, a church that was dying, sadly. And there was two ladies did the flowers. And you turned and looked at those flowers sideways. Or else... <coughs> you got your throat slit. And the two ladies were called Sadie and Evelyn. Brilliant women, 100%. But you turned and looked at them flowers. You turned even to touch them or else you got burned up. 
And then one harvest, they came to me and they said, John, would you help us with the flowers? And I was like, what? Would you help us do the flower arrangements? And I said, I will. By the time the next year came, there was only me and Sadie, or Sadie and I, because Evelyn had passed away. And the time the next year came around to the harvest time, there was only me because Sadie was no longer with us. And by the, the next year they came around, I wasn't even there. And that particular congregation wanted harvest flowers, and so they went to the local funeral directors to get them. The sign of a dying place. The sign of people in small numbers, but still some people not prepared to get involved in the work. And it was elderly women who were doing the work. Elderly women who had given 40, 50, 60, maybe more years of their life to doing that wee job. But they're not there anymore. See, folks, whenever we're right before God, it leads us to have wages that we possess that leads to eternal life. And we don't work for those wages but we need to be working in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Don't leave it just down to the elders. Don't leave it to the person just sitting beside you. Every church is like that. There's people come in and they feed and they go out and they come back and feed the next week and they go way back out the next week and they come back and forward, back and forward and they contribute little or nothing to the place. That's not what the church is, folks. It's a family who contribute, not only of themselves, but financially and in every other way as well. You might sit be, sitting here this morning or this afternoon thinking, I wonder did the elders put him up to a sermon like this? No, no, it's got nothing to do with them. We need to be ready and willing to do what God asks us to do. We need to be practical in the use of our time and talents because the wages of the righteous leads to life, real life, eternal life that you cannot buy with any amount of a bank balance the labor of the righteous. The second thing is the life of the righteous. Well, what does it lead to? The wages of the righteous lead to life. A life that recounts and tells a story of what Christ has done for you. What has Christ done for you? He's done everything. The fact you're here today, he's done that. The fact you have a roof over your head, he's done that. The fact that you've got a a car to sail about and get from A to B to C and D. He's done that. The fact that you've got clothes near your back to come out of the house, he's done that. The fact that you have breath in your lungs, he's done that. All the things we take for granted, folks. Our lives should tell a story of what Christ has done for us. And so we should... If you're a believer today, if you know and love the Savior today, if you're saved today, then people should know and people should see that there's something transformative and different and new and renewed about you. You should stick out like a big sore thumb. But not only does our lives need to recount what Christ has done for us, because the wages that lead to righteousness also leads to real life, eternal life, is the fact that our lives need to be refreshed. 
You see, we need to be renewed. We need holidays. We need breaks. We need things. David's going to be moving on. He's been called as a minister designated to his own congregations. Please pray for him. That is not an easy place to be. He'll need to be renewed. He'll need to be developed. He'll need to see um, see what's going on in those two new places that he's going to. He'll need to be encouraged and helped and supported. So don't forget about him. Pray for him. Pray for his wife and his child. Pray for those two Kirk sessions and those two congregations. He's going there to be the leader. He's going there to be first among equals, if you could put it like that. But he's going to bring the gospel and renewal and development to those folk. He's going to live before them as someone ought to live. And that's a very heavy burden on anybody's shoulders. But the wages of righteousness, of being right before God, leads to eternal life. The labor of the righteous, the life that the righteous person ought to live. But then thirdly, there's also limitations to us. You see, folks, it's so hard to give up the sinful things. Because the second part of the verse says the gain of the wicked is a gain towards sin and towards death, ultimately. Very easy to, it's very hard to give up certain things. I was chatting to a man recently who, when I worked in a manual church in Belfast, asked me to take him and drop him off outside the bookies on the Crumlin Road. And I did so, but I wouldn't do it again. And he told me recently he had given up gambling. It's like amazing. That's brilliant. He told me 30 years ago he gave up smoking. And he's given up a few other things as well in between. And he said the, the biggest thing for him in relation to the cigarettes was the fact that he couldn't do this anymore, put up to his mouth to it become a habit. And sin, folks, is a habit. It's a habit that we're all born with. We're born in sin and shaping and iniquity. And our sinfulness always orientates us towards doing our own thing living life how we see fit. And the gain of the wicked leads to sin. We see much wickedness around us in our world day after day. see people oppressed. We see bits of wind starving. We, we see sinful, wretched, wicked folk all around us. And you know something we can identify with them because we're sinful, wicked, wretched folk ourselves including the boys standing at the front talking to us today. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need salvation. That's why we need redemption. That's why we need cleansing. That's why we need Christ. There's something topsy-turvy about this verse as well. Because you would almost imagine that the gain of the righteous would lead to life, but that the wage of the wicked to sin. Something unusual about this. It's as if it's been flipped over in its head because the wages of sin are death. 
We find that in Scripture. But I think essentially this inverted scenario is there to remind us of the fact that what what we're really like inside. Because sin is bittersweet, folks. We think we're making the right decision, and we don't. We think we're doing the right thing, and we don't. And that sin causes division with Jesus Christ. It causes us to be separated from Him. Because the ironic thing about this verse as well is that there's no gain in wickedness. There's no gain in wickedness, but the wages of wickedness is death. Solomon was really wise. Solomon had a, the, it was known to be the wisest person in the world at the time. And yet Solomon, with all his wisdom, could not comprehend the wisdom of God. Folks, as we have entered into a new year, there's a job here to do. There's a job to do in Macrofelt. There's a job to do in your home. There's a job to do in your workplace. There's a, there, there's a work to be involved in. If you know and love a Savior, you ought to enter into the labor of that work. You ought to enter into the life of this place. Please do not just leave it up to one or two people and blow in and blow out and come when it suits you and go away when it suits you. Be committed because the wages of righteousness leads to everlasting life. And only when we're committed to the Savior, only when we're committed to the Lord, can we ever, folks, experience those wages? And sadly, the alternative is that the gain of wickedness is to sin and to death and to separation from God forever. Let's get involved in the labor. Let's get involved in the, the life of this church congregation as a family and recognize that we all have limitations. But that Christ's power is absolutely, completely, and irrevocably limitless. And that we can trust Him. And that we can follow Him. If you're sitting here today and you're not saved, remember that the gain of the whole sum total of your life will be to wickedness and to sinfulness and to separation from God. You might say to yourself, well, that's a pretty harsh thing to say, but that's real, that's the way it is. And as your convener, and the elders in this congregation would love, David even would love, somebody to tap on the shoulder and say, look, I'm a sinner and I need to save you. That's what we really need to see, folks. So if you're here today and you're not saved and you've been coming to church for years and ticking boxes, it's time to stop ticking the boxes. Time to turn to the Savior. If you're here and you are a believer, at least a tentative believer, but you're not really involved, it's time to get involved. It's time not to sit in your laurels. And if you're a believer who is involved, it's time to take stock. 
trying to keep trusting and following and loving the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've had today. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is totally sufficient for us. We've been singing about your sovereignty. Father God, you're sovereign over us. And we pray that we would see your sovereignty in this year as we look forward to calling a new minister. As we look forward to the future, help us, Lord, to be involved. Help us, Lord, not to sit on the sidelines hoping that somebody else is going to do it. Father God in heaven, help us to be committed to the cause of Christ, to following him, and to putting him first. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.